Hey y'all, welcome back to in this month's episode of the Prairie Ramblings podcast. We are literally at this point springing into the spring. Um, it's always such a fun time of year. The birds are coming out, the buds are popping, little plants are growing, um, and in this case the bees are buzzing. So... Yeah, it was it was such a treat um, when I was visiting Matt, our guest today, uh, at the Kansas City Community Gardens, where Giving Grove site is also at. Um, they have a nice hive there, and this is such an active time for bees to find water, find, you know, maybe find some pollination happening, you know. Um, but so yeah, it was it was just great to see the the hive up in action. And at Kansas City Community Gardens, they process the honey, and I believe they also sell the honey and maybe the wax as well. Um, so something to look forward to in the fall if if you're in the area and interested. So yeah, so today's guest is Matt Bunch at. Uh, Giving Grove. They, Giving Grove is an organization that is throughout the U.S. at this point from Georgia, all the way from Georgia to Seattle, Texas, Kentucky. I mean, there's, they're in a whole lot of places, um, but it's based here in Kansas City. They focus on urban communities that are food insecure with fruit and nut trees. And today we were joined with their horticulturist, Matt. Matt has been working with Giving Grove since the beginning, and they are now an active consultant for a lot of other of the locations, as well as the main caretaker for the site in at the Kansas City Community Garden and some of the other um, sites that they have around the city. So there's a couple of fun facts that I wanted to just talk about before we get in, because this group is so amazing, and they've done so many cool things, and I think it's worth sharing um, these numbers and these specs. Uh, so today, when I looked when I looked it up online, um, they today they have three hundred and four sites, one thousand two hundred volunteers, six hundred apprentices, which they is like their tree stewards. So these are the people that are gonna like maintain the the properties each year, um, more than just a volunteer, which is pretty neat and a and a great idea. Uh, so moving far from that, um, 2.9 million servings annually. And that's with the serving size is one third, I think one third of a cup or something. So that's a lot like an apple that, that feels like a single apple, you know, um, or a pear, you know, uh, so the orchards with an average of 15 trees can also sequester 2.7 tons of carbon over 25 years. 2.7 tons of carbon with just an average of 15 trees. Fruit trees nonetheless. This is just bonkers. Um, so cool. So amazing. I just got so much more jazzed after I read these facts. Um, so I definitely recommend checking out the Giving Grove, givinggrove.com, and also the Kansas City Community Garden. 
Uh, so I didn't know this until I talked to Matt. Um, the Kansas City Community Garden started Giving Grove, and then Giving Grove became a nonprofit through the Kansas City Community Garden, which is absolutely fantastic. Also, shout out to Kansas City Community Garden. They are so amazing. And when I was there, it was a couple weeks ago in March. And they, if you are a member of the Kansas City Community Garden, which if you are interested in becoming a member, definitely check it out. Everything is income-based, so you can be, the, there's three tiers that they go everything off of. So the lowest tier was like $2 for a membership. The middle tier was 15 The highest was like 25 or 30 for, $35 for one year membership with the K Kansas City Community Garden. Now, I don't know the details of what that all includes, you know, if you get a garden plot or, you know, if you can just attend workshops or anything, but I know what it does include is access to their storefront, and each year you get, like, 10 or 15 free seed packets, and they also have onion slips, leek slips, potatoes, just literally everything that you need. They even had cotton so it's it's just fantastic and that is so cool they are making so many things accessible through the programs that they're doing and i'm just so jazzed about it i just it is uh, so cool so cool um they also okay they also had rogue hose that were the sliding scale broad forks for sliding scale when you got your free seeds you got either a bag of compost or a bag of mulch for free. It's just, uh, I just love it. I wish every city could have a Kansas City Community Garden group because then we'd all just be, you know, growing, growing things together, which is so much fun, so much fun. Um, so, okay, so we are going to continue forward here um, with the interview with me and Matt and just wanted to bring up a little reminder that this, you know, I don't have a big recording team and we were happily sitting outside in the sunshine near a road. And so you may hear a car or two. Um, just wanted to, you know, let you know that ahead of time. And it's nonetheless still an amazing episode. And Matt has so many great things and conversations to talk about. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely stay tuned for the, the interview and um, give a shout out to our friends in Kansas City. And yeah, y'all enjoy, y'all enjoy the spring. I'm trying to keep it short and simple um, today as, as best as one can. Um, but yeah, I'm stoked. I got seeds in the ground. I mulched. My onions are in. You know, slow, slow and steady steps, slow and steady steps. All right. Well, this is this is it, y'all. Um, enjoy the rest of today's episode, this month's episode. I always say today, this month's episode and get out there. Find some fruit trees, find some fruit trees. Oh, hey, uh, me again. <laughs> I just can't. I, there's always something more, you know. Okay, so I forgot about this really great. It's, it looks like it's a nonprofit now, which is cool. I've seen this 
um, app or organization for a while, so, um, and I wanted to let more people know about it. So it's called Falling Fruit, at Falling Fruit on Instagram, also fallingfruit.org. Um, this is a great place for those foragers out there, um, or just people who are looking for more fruit in their life. Um, it's super cool, so you go on this map and... People around town can say, hey, I have maybe you have a, a plum tree that gets too many plums and you have, you're overloaded with plums every year. Maybe it's on your property. Maybe it's on public property. And, you know, fruit trees just are everywhere or they could be any, everywhere, but they're not. Anyways, um, so this is a great place if you're looking to get into it. Um, to go online, I there's a couple on in Lawrence. There's actually a lot on KU campus. Um, there's some pear trees, which I thought that they took down these pear trees, but maybe they didn't. I don't know if it's been updated. Anyways, there's persimmons, plums, apples, you name it, um, on there. Also want to give a shout out to Lawrence Community Fruit Tree Project. Um, they're always looking for volunteers. Check out their Instagram um, maybe we'll do an episode with them in the future. For now, you can check Falling Fruit and also Giving Grove in Kansas City Community Gardens and Lawrence Fruit Tree Project. Anyways, you you got some you got some fruit things to do in your future. weather stations so kind of the next uh sort of the next step okay um, because weather is very important yes. to what we do and yeah the smarter we are about what's happening with the weather the more informed some of our partner orchards can be so yeah so for example <laughs> cruising yeah <laughs> So, uh, for example, a lot of insects, you know, they they base their life cycle on soil temperatures. Uh -huh. So things are pupating right now. They're they're waking up. They're crawling out of their cocoons. Things like uh, oriental fruit moth and codling moth are probably about ready to start flying. And those are like our, some of our two major fruit pests. So, uh, for example, you, you get these weather stations and they'll be able to record maximum, minimum temperatures mm. and you'll be able to have sort of all of that data on how many, how many degree days, which is a, a concept in, in uh, not only orcharding, but a lot of, uh, a lot of vegetable growing agronomic crops. So uh, the smarter we can be about those degree days, the smarter we can make our orchards. And yeah. So this, this, this yeah. past Zoom meeting uh, yeah. was in regards to, yeah, just trying to secure some of these weather stations yeah. to help folks out. Wow, okay. So when you're talking about weather stations, do you mean like setting up like some sort of like um, 
you know, like Doppler radar, like, you know, well, like a station that will like record the temperature that will like compute it online so yeah, that you can so like it, start collecting data. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it logs data from anything from soil moisture to relative cool. humidity to leaf wetness. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so all of these come into play, especially when you're predicting uh, disease modeling too, because there are a lot of various fruit tree diseases that can be predicted once you have sort of the, the a certain amount of hours of relative humidity at certain temperatures. Well, you need to be prepared for powdery mildew right. or fire blight or, or things like that. So, yeah. so yeah, that's uh, these, these weather stations log all of that and will then actually send out alerts uh, so, so then you could be prepared to either, you know, spray your trees or let other people know that they need to spray their trees. Yeah. And, and this is stuff that's, it's definitely more for commercial growers, but us being on the nonprofit side of things, we want to make sure that some of our other nonprofit partners have access to this kind of data. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably important, especially nonprofits, because nonprofits do well with data, and they could be like, hey, we need this grant for this equipment, yeah. because this keeps happening for the last five years. Here's what our information system told us, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's it definitely, I mean, a lot of our nonprofits aren't, they're not like growers per se. Right. However, uh, the, the ones that we're partnering with, they all have little ag programs so some of the uh, we're partnering with a high school that has a great ag program and a junior college that has a good ag program so they they will be able to use this data in real time and also teach their students how to use this data too which i mean that's that i think is almost more important is is the, the students are able yeah. to learn this and understand this. And, yeah. and then, yeah. you now in the future, be able to apply it, too. Yeah, yeah. So I was looking up earlier, and y'all, Giving Grove is in, right now, <laughs> this is a fact I found online, and I thought this was cool, 304 sites, 1,200 volunteers, and 2.9 million servings annually of fruit. Yeah. So... How many? So three hundred four sites. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So that's not just in Kansas that's City. That's not though. just in Kansas City. So, starting in what was it, twenty eighteen, uh, the Giving Grove partnered with Gateway Greening, which is uh, out of St. Louis. They are now Seed St. Louis. They've uh, okay. They've gone gone through a renaming, but. Uh, so we, we partnered with them, and they're very much a community gardening organization, much like Kansas City Community Gardens. Um, and they were already working with some sites that had fruit trees, but they, you know, they weren't able to really supply them with the knowledge and the resources. Mm -hmm. And so that's where Giving Grove kind of came in and, and was able to supply them with a little bit more knowledge and some more resources um, and so now the the program director there is working with more community gardens installing uh, more fruit trees and uh, that same year we we started working with the big garden up in Omaha and so they're uh, very much uh, 
very much like like the program here. They they're they're working with groups and installing orchards of you know five to ten trees at a time. And since then, uh, there have been some others that have uh, come on board. So uh, working with Louisville, working with Cincinnati, Atlanta, and Dallas have also uh, started little Giving Grove affiliates, cool. uh, as well as Denver and Seattle. I think that is it uh, wow. for, for right now. But yeah, so so that's really part of the plan is is. Uh, the, the Giving Grove is actually securing funding nationally to get these affiliates started working with other other sort of umbrella or community garden type umbrella organizations mm -hmm. in other cities. Cool. And so, yeah, that's very much the way, like, Grow North Texas is, is the affiliate there in Dallas. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what is it, the Green Umbrella in Cincinnati. So... So they're they're already like-minded organizations, and in some cases they're they're already working either with trees or with vegetables. Uh, but now they're able to to step it up a notch with a little bit more funding to put towards a a human resource uh, as well as some of the orcharding resources. Cool. So, yeah. 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 Um, maybe we'll just pause as these <laughs> sirens roll yeah. by. Um, Gregory is uh, is busy. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's there's so many cities. So, are you the horticulturist for all of them? So, or like, I'm. What's your what's where do you spread out? Yeah, to? Yeah. <laughs> where do I spread out? So yeah. so mainly I am here in Kansas City. So yeah. I'm, right. I, that's. My first and foremost is horticulturist for the Giving Grove for Kansas City Community Gardens. Now, however, I do advise uh, with some of the programs afar, some of the affiliate programs. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I will get emails from, from their program director about certain varieties or now is 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 this pest a problem here? You know, uh, just kind of some of those uh, sort of you know more horticultural questions. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, with some of these other uh, affiliates, they they have found somebody uh, that has that skill set already. So and and that's that's perfect because each one of our growing regions has their. You know, their own climate, their own sort of set of insects to worry about. I mean, there are, you could paint with a broad brush on on some things, like yeah. oriental fruit moth. That's something that everywhere, I would say, east of the Great Plains has that. Yeah. Uh, although oriental fruit moth is also, you know, west of the Great Plains and west of the Rockies, but it's not in the same prevalence. Mm. Um a lot of the fungal uh, pests and diseases, uh, we have them really hard. You know, here, once again, east of the Great Plains, you get you get west where you're more arid. You don't have a lot of those fungal issues. So, um, as I, I like to say that right here in Kansas City, we kind of get a little bit of everything. Perfect. 
because we have the humidity, uh -huh. we have the heat, but we also have the cold. And so we, we have all of those challenges and, and the erratic spring that, that we talked about too, going from 84 one day to three days later, going yeah. down to five degrees. So, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, well, it, it is interesting to think about how much insects can affect one area and not in another or like still be prevalent but not have the intensity necessarily you know and I think that that shows up in vegetables a lot too especially if you're growing like a brassica you know like some worms can affect brassicas really bad in some areas and then sometimes like yeah yeah it's not too bad you know Right. So it's interesting to see how that can apply to trees and shrubs and stuff as well. Well, that yeah. that is is very true, and and certain pests that over the years have not been a problem. I mean, uh, we'll we'll take Japanese beetles as being sort of one of those insects. I mean, they're they're pretty well embedded right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say 10 to 12 years ago, they weren't really so much of an issue mm -hmm. around this area. Uh, so, so they've they've definitely they've come and they're here to stay. Um, you know, some other things that that we're seeing, uh, spotted wing Drosophila is a pest that it showed up seven eight years ago. wasn't much of a problem. It was, but now it's. It's kind of everywhere, and and people who are growing soft-bodied summertime fruits and even tomatoes, uh, they are botanically a fruit and soft-bodied. Yeah. They they also uh, can infest tomatoes. Uh, brown marmorated stink bug is another one, and yeah. So these these pests do uh, do definitely move. They change ranges. Uh, even with oriental fruit moth, you know, some years we will only have, let's say, five generations of that moth during a growing season. Other years we might have as many as six or seven generations. So, so the the pest pressure can can ebb and flow some too, depending on the season. Yeah. Uh, so it, yeah, that, all of that is is totally fascinating and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yet another reason to invest in the in the weather stations that, <laughs> yeah. that we are having to and to monitor yeah. um, for all of these things. Yeah. So if like you know that you know for Asian beetles, you brought you brought up Asian beetles. Yeah, Japanese. Japanese yeah, yeah, beetles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you if you know that that's going to be a problem for the year, are there certain things that you can do or like help in an like do in an orchard to help prevent some of these things or is it one of those things where it's like it will happen and it happens a little bit of both because okay. it, it will happen um but you can lessen the damage and uh over over the years there's been a lot of study in how to control japanese beetles and and how to control them i would say with with less harmful pesticides mm -hmm. you know because that's that's one of the the things that we really try to focus on is is not we don't want to spray a lot of environmentally detrimental chemicals in, in the process of trying to produce healthy food so so we're, we're trying to be mindful about that um, so a number of years ago uh, uh, a university did a study on doing mass trapping of Japanese beetles. 
shelves now. You've probably seen at the hardware store or even in somebody's yard or garden, just kind of a, a little cone trap with uh -huh. a bag attached to it. Uh-huh. And, and those work. However, uh, once the bag gets filled and, and with Japanese beetles, you have an 85 to degree day and sunny in mid to late June, that bag will fill up. Uh -huh. If nobody's there <laughs> to change that bag right. that's full of Japanese beetles, the Japanese beetles, they just fly on and they find other things to chew on and they, they chew on over 300 different species of plants. So it's, it's your, it's your beans, it's your raspberries, yeah. it's your apples, it's your lindens, it's what have you. 300. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. everything it seems like. Yeah. So, so anyhow, the, this university, they did some studies and they, they're like, well, what if we apply this but on a, just build a larger mouse trap, a larger Japanese beetle trap as such. And, and so they, they installed uh, the cone and the pheromone on a 40-gallon trash can. I've and, seen these and, before. <laughs> and they, they set them up on the perimeters of some of these uh, these small market farms. Yeah. And they found that by doing that, it did lessen the damage on the target crops that they are trying to grow. Mm. So uh, I thought that was that was that was great. That was really interesting. And we've adopted a lot of that for some of our larger sites because we know that we're not going to be able to beat the beetles. However, if you can trap them and you, you know, maybe you get two inches of dead beetles in the bottom of a trash can. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, 30,000 beetles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like future reproduction production. Exactly. Yeah, it's all exactly. trapped in one place. So, and you don't have to worry about changing out the trap every day or every other day. Uh, these are, you know, you, you set the trap out when you see them first flying. You know, normally that's the sec first, second week of June. And you leave the trap out until the, the end of July or the first week of August. Mm -hmm. and, and at that point, uh, you'll take the trap and... You'll, you'll go dump all the beetles in the compost because they're a great source of nitrogen. They, they are what they eat. Yeah. And so, yeah. so you just dump them in the compost and, and then you'll use that compost for next year. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's one, of the, one of the things. There's also another, um, there's actually a, a bacteria, a soil bacteria that can be used uh, for Japanese beetles as well. Interesting. And it's, it's the reason why Japanese beetles are not really a pest in Japan. They're just a beetle that you live with, uh, much, much like the way that a lot of June beetles are just a beetle that we live with. And it's kind of, you know, a, a part of, uh, you know, it's like cicadas, you know, for right. the most part. Yeah, it's right. something that, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the terroir. We, we <laughs> live with it. Um, <laughs> But uh, so there's there's the soil bacteria that you can actually uh, purchase and, and introduce to the soil, and it works on the, the Japanese beetle larva. So so that's another yeah. another way we go about uh, Japanese beetle management. Yeah, yeah, I think those are good. I've seen um, there's a couple of places around town in Lawrence that have that I think they are fruit tree orchards, and I always see the big you know that, it's that time of year where they put out their big buckets you know. Ah. Try and collect them, so that's cool. I'm glad that there's been research 
done yeah, on it. That yeah, it, Lincoln it University works. actually in, in Jefferson City is that cool. they're the ones that cool. conducted yeah. that. So. I was always worried that it was like attracting too many Japanese beetles. Yeah, that's that's only <laughs> if you have the small traps. Okay. So okay. it it takes. I, I, mean, I, I haven't done the math on, on how many beetles it would take to fill up a 40-gallon trash yeah. can, but I, I That's don't... That's a lot. Yeah. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The beetles are pretty small. <laughs> right, <laughs> you right, know, right. So. We, we figured out uh, at one point in time how many beetles it was to the gram, but, uh, you know, that's, that's funny. yeah. Yeah, we can look that up when we need it. Right, you know? exactly, exactly. I think there are some grad students that would gladly figure that yeah. out, too. Yeah, oh, that's funny. Um, so, you have an orchard here in this part of Kansas City, but where... Whereabouts, like, did y'all figure out the placement for the other spots? At least, and maybe we can just talk re locally uh, about the Kansas City area. Yeah, well, so um, the way a lot of this works is people will actually reach out to us. And so oftentimes there are other nonprofits, uh, and they could be nonprofits that are, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, like family service, nonprofits, uh, uh, communities of faith, schools. We're, we're in a lot of schools. Um, or, or different neighborhood associations. Or sometimes you'll have some just some neighbors that have gotten together. And with here in Kansas City, particularly um, for the longest time, and it still happens a little bit, but there are uh, land bank lots, and these are. These are laws that basically uh, uh, the, the city has on their books because nobody's paid the taxes for years and years. And, and, and in some cases, neighbors got together and purchased these land bank lots. And, uh, and they asked us uh, if, if they could plant an orchard. And, and so we worked with them. So we, we have a, a, a few of those as well. Um, most of our orchards are, I would say, in the kind of 12 to 15 tree range, so they're small. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of a, if you can imagine a, like a 5,000 square foot city lot, something like that. Um, but then we do have some larger ones that are uh, up to about 100 trees, and that's working with you know, bigger organizations that have the capacity. Um, we are in a number of city parks too, not only Kansas City, Missouri, but uh, also Kansas City, Kansas, mm -hmm. and Olathe as well. So we we kind of, uh, through the, the Kansas City Metro, we have kind of a, a wide reach. Um, we even worked with the uh, Little Prairie Community Garden there in Lawrence too. Cool. So we uh, uh, worked with them last year to install a few more trees and our working with them to advise on on the trees that they already have so cool. so yeah um yeah I, I would say you know we're, we're in about 50 schools um say uh, so that's that's probably one our one of our larger demographics there but cool. most of these are little neighborhood orchards and and oftentimes the model is if they're in a neighborhood and high visibility it's uh, when the fruit's ripe it's a take some leave some 
um, yeah. kind of kind of ethos. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, if if the stewardship is on top of it, they'll they'll hang a ribbon on the tree, which will indicate this is the tree that you can harvest from. And, and so that's yeah. yeah, that actually works pretty well for for a lot of our sites. Awesome. So. Yeah. So do you like after the initial planting or I guess when the planting happens does it for those some of the more community spaces is that just like a you know neighborhood association get together plant some fruit tree days or how does that the initial or I guess it, it might depend on where you are yeah it it does so so right now we're we're actually gearing up for uh, planting season mm -hmm. and um, so I think it's just next week we're going to be planting with uh, at a at a, a housing authority uh, apartment complex, and so that's something where there's a community college that's going to be involved with helping plant. Uh, some of the residents uh, are also going to be involved with helping plant. So, so we will install the the whole orchard at that time, and this. This is actually just a, a ten tree planting, so mm -hmm. it's it's relatively small. But oddly enough, it will be a, a you know, very productive orchard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you think of sort of the two hundred to four hundred pounds of fruit per tree. Yeah, that's <laughs> so a lot. So that, that, that becomes <laughs> yeah. yeah some some real produce. You know, five seven years down the road. Uh -huh. So yeah, most of these are are just kind of the, uh, sort of a one one planting. You know, two or two, three hours, you get a group of uh, eight to, to 20 people, and um, yeah, then it becomes this little work together celebration, planting trees, and then after cool. that, there are typically, you know, there's a group, I mean, we call it a stewardship team, uh, that will then manage those trees for the life of the trees. Okay. And, yeah. and so that's and that that's always key there because uh, you know the planting the trees well that's that's great but yeah. but if uh, if you set them and forget them that's <laughs> they're not going to live the best life they will yeah. not they will not and, and so so having good stewardship is is absolutely elemental yeah and and also realizing that. Uh, you know, a lot of the places we plant, it's it's not like it's your own yard where you can you're in charge of the mowing or or the maintenance on it. But there sometimes can be third party mowers and maintenance crews that you know, well, trees. What are these? Yeah, <laughs> right. So so that's that's always uh, you know there's there's always a little bit of a teachable moment there. Yeah. You have a, a bee in I your bottle. I have a bee in my water <laughs> bottle. It's on its stomach. Ah, yeah. The the we do have some hives here, and uh, yeah, I I think they're they're, they're just out searching for water and probably a little bit of sugar right now. We. There, there's not a whole lot that's flowering. Um, I saw we had some pansies that were open, and I know there are silver maples in the woods somewhere. But yeah, yeah the bees are hungry, right? Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. So you have you keep hives here? Yeah. So actually, cool. kind of beyond, uh, over by the greenhouse, there are uh, some hives, and and so we we've been doing that for a few years now. 
and actually uh, we we get enough honey to uh, sell that. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And it's something that that everybody looks forward to. Of course, yeah. of yeah. course. Yeah. I mean, honey is nature's gold. Yeah, yeah. Seems like. And, yeah. and uh, these, these Good for bees, the trees, too. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, we not only promote the honeybees, but also just, you know, all of the native pollinators, too. And, and that's uh, that's another thing. Just over beyond there where our hives are, we have uh, uh, an insectary garden that is basically filled with a lot of Kansas and Missouri native plants. So something that... Uh, that all of the fauna has kind of co-evolved with. Uh, and during the height of the season, we will have so many different insects over there. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. yeah, they're not all beneficial. Right. No, no. Right. I mean, some of them are, are uh, you know, may end up being some, some pests in the garden. However, bringing in some of these different pollinators, these these different predator insects, they can then also feast on some of the pest insects. So yeah. it's, it's just an insect smorgasbord over yeah. there, basically. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. It is, it Especially is. with that, that pond of water, I'm sure that that's really important for a lot of insects right now, too. Yeah, yeah it yeah. is, it is. Yeah, I'm sure if we go over there, we could probably see a number of bees just drinking right yeah. there right now. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a nice time of year. That was so sweet. I'm glad that he survived. Yeah. <laughs> I was worried, you know, when he's like crawling yeah. on his back. I was like, oh no, one for the, from the hives down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, if people want to get a fruit tree orchard, or I guess maybe I'll take a step back. You focus on fruit trees, nuts, but then you've also talked about like blueberry or like bushes, like brambles. Yeah. So you kind of like, it's not only fruit and trees, but like fruit producing shrubs, trees. Right, right. Bushes. Yeah, we, so when we first started getting our plant list together, um, we focused on a lot of tree fruits and focused on tree fruits that have disease resistance. So with our apple selection, all of these have resistance to apple scab, which is, it's kind of the main apple fungus, fungal disease that will ruin the fruit. It gets on the, it gets on the leaves, it gets on the stems, it gets on the fruit and mm -hmm. can ruin your whole fruit crop. So yeah. we wanted to make sure that was not one thing that was going to be battled. Uh, then things like fire blight, which is, is a disease that can kill the whole tree. We wanted to make sure that the trees had good resistance to that. And then some of the other apple diseases, powdery mildew, cedar apple rust. So, so with all of our apples, we've, we've, we've vetted those. And, and these are all apples that have been um, bred through a lot of uh, university cooperative research. Uh, so they're easier to grow uh, from sort of an organic and, and biological approach. And so that, that same philosophy is carried through to European pears and Asian pears, peaches, um, and cherries. And, and so I would say those are kind of the main crops that, that we do focus on. Um, we know that peaches take a little bit more 
uh, uh, maintenance. Uh, they have more insect pests and they take a lot more pruning. Um, so we're reluctant to plant a lot of peaches with, with groups. If, if uh, let's say you have a 10 tree orchard, you'll maybe have one peach in that 10 tree orchard, mm -hmm. uh, but probably more weighted pear, Asian pear, and even apples because they do have more pests. Uh, we, we try not to weight too heavily on apples. Uh, so, so it's always a balancing act with the trees. Now, when it comes to uh, some of the small fruits, the berries, the brambles, yes, we do, uh, we do plant things like uh, blackberries, raspberries, but really we focus on just one or two varieties there. You know, there's just like with apples, you know, right. you know, over 700,000 varieties of apples. <laughs> we've drilled it down to six varieties. You know, same with raspberries. We actually only focus on one variety of raspberry. Uh, with blackberries, it's a couple varieties. And, and this is from really a maintenance perspective. Um, you know, it's, it's something where a grower can cut them down this time of year, cut them down to the ground. They grow, they produce the end of July until our first hard freeze, which this past year was you know, late November sometime. Mm -hmm. And then they cut them down again. So it's, it's, it's kind of, a, it's the ease of maintenance aspect there. And then with other fruits, um, you know, blueberries, while you can grow them around here, we don't, we don't actively buy in blueberries and plant with people. If sites want to plant blueberries, that's fine, and we will recommend sort of the appropriate varieties. But, mm -hmm. uh, but because blueberries demand a, a very sour or a very low pH soil, 4.5 to 5.5 for sort of optimal growing, mm -hmm. uh, we, we just don't recommend them. You have to do too much in advance mm -hmm. uh, in order to get your blueberries going. And you can grow blueberries, you just have right. to, you just have to change the pH of your soil, add peat, add sulfur, and get some sort of drip irrigation on them too, um, because their root system is kind of entirely different than uh, most of the other plants that we're dealing with. But then there are currants. We, uh, we, we like one particular currant. It's, uh, it's, it's a clove currant. Actually, it's a native plant that uh, years ago, and I, I think the guy was in Newton, Kansas, mm. uh, he found this variety growing that was just heavily laden with fruit. And this variety is Crandall, and mm. so we offer up Crandall. And it's, it's one where big berries, great producer, and the flowers in the springtime are just, they're, they're, they, they perfume the whole air. Uh, cool. it's, it's like lilac and a clove mixed together. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a heavenly scent. So, so we are very intentional about what we plant. Um, we offer up figs because figs are kind of a fun crop. You're not going to get a lot of figs mm -hmm. uh, around here. Right. Um, you know, we're, uh, I mean, this year we're definitely a zone seven, but most of the time we're zone six and, and can even get down into zone five like last year. 
and so that that's not a, a good fig growing region mm -hmm. uh, however you can always count on uh, a fig crop normally by late august uh, early september yeah and and that's always fun because hardly anybody that has grown up in the midwest has had a fresh fig right and they everybody is like oh this is wonderful <laughs> It's so amazing. Yeah, everybody needs to experience a fresh fig yeah. in their life. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. And, yeah. And, and then there are other plants like jujubes. Uh, I was just that, thinking about jujubes. Yeah, yeah. That, that's one that we, uh, we've we been planting since, uh, since the inception of the Giving Grove. And I, I have some experience prior to that when I was out at Powell Gardens. And we, we planted a lot of uh, jujubes out there. And, knew that they did really well and uh, were relatively pest free. Uh, I think the, the biggest uh, the biggest hurdle for jujubes is just the western taste buds and getting used to uh, it, it has a strange texture that uh, not everybody is, is accustomed to. Yeah. You know, it's very sweet, but then it's very dry. Uh -huh. and, and so that is perhaps the, the biggest issue is uh, just you know finding a good way to utilize them and accept the fruit for for its uh for its characteristics yeah so. yeah i like to refer it as like a very dry apple yeah it remind like it reminds me of an apple because it, it can be very crunchy like an apple but it's not very like juicy like an apple right which is what a lot of people want and it almost feels like it's tannic to some degree, yeah, which is really interesting. I've definitely eaten a jujube that wasn't ready. Oh yeah, and oh yeah. That's yeah, yeah. you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's uh, there is sort of astringency a little bit there, and and some dryness. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not the same astringency as let's say persimmons. Yes. Um, which persimmons is another one that we do plant out, but it's you know I think and. And the 3,500 or so trees that we've planted around Kansas City, we've maybe put in 50 persimmons. Yeah. Yeah, and same with yeah. pawpaws. Not not so yeah. many. And, yeah. And uh, so those are those are sort of more more niche fruits. However, being native fruits. Yeah. So still important to add to the mix. Yeah. 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 And I think the other thing that I know about pawpaws is they take forever to fruit. And so if you're looking, I could yeah. see how it wouldn't be an optimal um, choice if you're, you know, looking to yeah. to have high production to, you know, feed people and provide a pawpaw's yes. not, it's going to take a while. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's... And that is is ultimately the problem with the, with a lot of fruit trees. There's you don't get that instant gratification of uh -huh. let's say an annual vegetable. It's right. like oh well, I can yeah. sow these cucumber seeds, and and 90, 120 days later, I have more cucumbers <laughs> than I know what to do with. Right. Um, but it is one of the reasons we we do like to plant things like raspberries and blackberries because they if plant raspberries right now, you will have a crop come late July, early August. If you plant blackberries right now, you'll have a crop next year in June. So so the turnover is, is quicker there right. and, and it's it's easier to get buy-in when it's like, oh, there's something that we can harvest, something right. that we can eat, something that we can share. Uh, yeah. So 
So that's, that is a reason that we like to plant uh, those, those berries at some of our sites too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, it makes sense, especially if, because things take long, it's nice to add the diversity of it to have some things you can have now and some things where it's like when it's ready, you're, you'll be ready. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and I would say, yeah, a lot of our, our, our balanced sites, uh, they really appreciate having those blackberries because yeah. oftentimes we'll, we'll have black ch uh, blackberries and then have something like the bush cherries and the blackberries are always coming on kind of that second year. And, and then they know what to expect the third year. And then by the time the third year they have Oh, here are all these bush cherries, and then, uh -huh. then the fourth year you got blackberries, bush cherries, and hey, the Asian pears all of a sudden now, <laughs> right. and so it's it's uh, it's like the the symphony's building, and um, and then finally you know you have you have apples finally coming on after sort of you know year five is when you really have great production on on your apples. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, you have yeah. to you have to balance that and also weigh people's expectations too. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, I feel like that's the beauty of a tree, though, is like you, it's it's the delayed gratification because yeah. yeah. when it does happen and it's like a lot, you know, it's like whoa, yeah. you know, it's yeah. worth the wait. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely worth the wait. Yeah, I'm gonna just check this and make sure this is doing okay. Um, yeah, we had a, um, we had an apricot tree that finally fruited, um, at Jill's place. Uh -huh. And I had the pleasure of picking these apricots and we haven't, because it was two years ago. And then last year, because of the frost, we got zero apricots. Yeah. But... And and there, yeah, <laughs> that's why we don't plant a lot of apricots. Yeah. I think that's one of those where we may may have a dozen or so out there in various orchards, and you know the the extension data will say that oh you know one in seven years is uh, is what you can expect. There's <clears throat> there used to be, and it's it's now dead. But over uh, over on the west side, um, so basically, kind of seventeenth and summit area, of Kansas City. Year in and year out, there was an apricot that fruited, and this was one that uh, we knew about. We knew the owner of it, and, and so would kind of watch it and and finally we actually uh, got some cuttings and were able to graft cool. uh, before it died wow. before it died now there the main tree is dead there may actually be some some little suckery growth and i haven't looked at it lately but i i know we we do have one graft that made it so uh we're gonna try to carry on that lineage because the owner of the apricot tree he didn't know what the variety was of mm. course yeah <laughs> yeah you know a lot of uh, uh that's that's why it's important to to leave those tags or or write it down somewhere uh, we all have good intentions though. yeah yeah <laughs> but it, it was rare for um uh, 
for the metro to, to have a variety that, that was able to miss some of those frosts. And, and a lot of this could have been the location, too. Mm -hmm. It was kind of this, you know, up on a hill, so it got breezes, but close enough to the river that it was able to take advantage of the what can sometimes be referred to as the banana belt area around the river where you almost have a, have a half zone warmer. Mm. So, mm. so it, it, it may have benefited from that too. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I hope that I have faith for this tree. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I, Keep I, growing. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I need to uh, take some more cuttings off of, of the one we have and, and yeah. draft some more just to, yeah. to keep the lineage. Yeah. yeah. So um, I've I've personally done a little bit of grafting, but is that something that you generally are the one doing most of the most of the time? Yeah. So um, we actually don't do a lot of grafting with uh, with the program, um, and uh, we're we're getting into it a little bit more here and yeah. there. But I, mean, it, I had a really hard time grafting. It was very yeah. difficult. <laughs> I was like, this takes practice and a keen knife skill it, yeah yes, yeah it, it does it does for sure and, yeah. and there are grafting tools out there right. too that that can can make the cut for you really nicely so that's you know having the knife skills is less of an issue seeing as some of these tools are out there mm -hmm. however it does also uh, require you know a a good greenhouse and a good place to kind of keep all of these trees once they've been grafted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's that's where I think some of the difficulty comes in is is following back up with that. Mm -hmm. And so we've the the way we work is we we ended up uh, ordering through uh, some some bigger growers uh, to get uh, a lot of these varieties. So we we, you know, they, they do the grafting a year, you know, year and a half ahead of time, and then we will we will go ahead and take shipment of those. And, uh, we typically, well, we we actually have received all of our bare root trees now. Cool. So it's uh, it's one thing, you know, as as the program grows, we will get more into grafting, but it'll be more for those kind of specialty. Uh, just like the apricot that I mentioned. Yeah, so. yeah, okay. I mean, that makes sense, especially when there's, if you have, let's say you're doing, you know, 20 new gardens in a year. That's a lot of trees. Yeah. That's a lot of planning. Yeah, And yeah. when somebody's professionally doing it really well. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, exactly. it's one of those things that's just an easier for everybody. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a scale thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but you can still practice with the apricots, you we know. We can, yeah. and, and actually uh, some of our uh, partner orchards, they've, uh, they've been practicing on the calorie pears that, uh, if you know, the, the kind of the invasive uh, pear, uh -huh. uh, the Bradford. Everybody calls it Bradford, but it's a calorie yeah. pear. And, or, and, the Osa and, or Osage orange? Wait. Uh, no, no. The, oh, Bradford pears. Okay, yes, yes, yes. yes. I know these. Yeah, that they're they're yeah. in the in, in the prairies along the fence yeah, lines. They don't they're smell everywhere good. now. Yeah. yeah, they smell horrible. The the city of Lawrence used to have a bunch of them. Uh, they are downtown. still downtown. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was I was a part of uh, starting to deaccession them when I worked for the parks department yeah. there. So they yeah. were slowly removing them. Yeah. Um, 
but no, you could you could use those to graft Asian pear or European pear or even apple onto. And and we do have one particular partner orchard where they have an unfortunate field of calorie pear. And there's been this one older gentleman that, you know, he's in his eighties, I think. He's going out and cutting the, these things down. Yeah. You know, sticking his little little scions in and just grafting and so he, he literally does have the the tree of you know 30 different fruit varieties wow. uh, between all the pear and asian pear and apple that he's grafted onto these things yeah so yeah yeah crazy yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow um so maybe we'll just like wrap up with the last couple questions um What are, like, what, what do you think some of the benefits of these orchards are? Yeah, so I think, I think there are a lot of, uh, a lot of different benefits. I, I think the, the community really comes out to these sites and they, they really, I think they, they appreciate not only not only the fruit but the fact that it's just a community space mm -hmm. uh, with one of our older orchards in, in uh, Wyandotte County I think it's it's been used the orchard has been used for a wedding it's used uh, there's enough room in it that the kids will play soccer um, there are lots of gatherings in that orchard and before this was just a triangle, kind of like a large traffic triangle between a couple different roads that was collecting trash. Mm -hmm. And so, so before that was before the orchard was put in, and and here we are, I guess nine years later. Uh, the orchard is very fruitful, and there are events that take place in that orchard almost every weekend. So. So I think there's it's it's really big from the community perspective. Um, I I know the I know the fruit is being enjoyed, and it's it's uh, being enjoyed by neighbors. Uh, it's 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 going off and finding its way into pantries here and there. So mm -hmm. it's you know I I think uh, but I think it's just it offers kind of a, a ray of hope and and sunshine and uh, you know a, some crisp sweetness <laughs> here and there yeah. uh yeah yeah I I you know I'll I'll stumble across you know a couple that's just picking cherries and you now they've known about this tree now for 3 or 4 years and it's like well this is what they do and mm -hmm. And so it it becomes uh, sort of this uh, this thing that people look forward to. Like, well, remember we did this last year. Let's go do it again. Yeah. And, and so, and it's it's those little little bright rays of hope that I I think that these these orchards help uh, instill in people. So, yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, it is fun to come back. <laughs> and check out on trees year by year. That's yeah. what is one of my favorite things to do, especially if you find them. I mean, I love a good community orchard, but if you find one like out in the wild, <laughs> that's like a dime a dozen, yeah. you know, that's yeah. a fun time. 
Um, so I kind of mentioned this earlier, um, when we were talking, um, but something that I like to, um, mention in each episode is a prairie moment or maybe necessarily like a prairie ecosystem, or maybe it's not a prairie ecosystem or a prairie moment or a necessary, but mainly focusing on an ecosystem moment, um, because I wouldn't, I don't know if this is technically a prairie that we're in right now, <laughs> um, but maybe a time that you've you've been in some of those spaces that stood out to you um, right. throughout the years of working working outside and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess first off, I mean, kind of where we are, um, you know, we're. And, and we have crashing through the woods. <laughs> it sounds like maybe yeah. there's even a deer in there. Um, yeah. yeah, we're right on the edge of Swope Park, so right near the Blue River. And we actually have a lot of natural areas around here with uh, the Blue River Glades and Rocky Point Glades. So, so uh, some of the some of the flora of both Blue River Glades and Rocky Point Glades and very similar to once you get out into uh, into the Flint Hills mm -hmm. and, and into the prairies there. And, you know, as far as, you know, sort of a, a prairie moments per se, I mean, I, when I go out into uh, some of the prairie regions, be they even like Jerry Smith Park, which is a little further south than here. It's one of the one of the last remnant prairies uh, in Jackson County. Uh, I always find myself focused on what's in the grass. What is what is uh, what's kind of hiding there? Um, looking for a. You know, maybe it's a maybe it's a cocoon, maybe uh, maybe it's a, a gentian. Some of these flowers that you know most uh, most people uh, wouldn't know, but mm -hmm. I kind of nerd out over uh -huh. or, or looking for a, uh, one of the the spiranthes uh, orchids. Uh, um, so so that's I I always enjoy doing that when when I'm in that kind of biome. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so, you know, every year uh, we as a family will also try to get out into the Flint Hills in, in some way. And uh, over the years, we've had uh, uh, ties with, with folks around Cottonwood Falls. And, and so it's always always a pleasure to, to go out and, and kind of walk the, the 40 acres that it gets hayed up every year, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, to see what wildflowers are there or uh, to, to see, see where the skinks may be. Um, so it's, you know, it's, 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 I think less on a sort of grand scale, but more sort of a micro scale for me and, and yeah. kind of uh, the, the, the smaller ecosystems that are happening in the prairie. Uh, you know, when, when we kind of talked about this question early on, I, 
and this has has less to do with the prairie and more to just more of just a funny incident mm -hmm. in the prairie. Yeah. It was uh, we had camped out in the field, and I, I believe it was that night there was a coyote that had visited. It was mm -hmm. kind of walking around the tent. And at some point, the horse that also inhabited that field came and spooked the coyote, mm. which was wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sort of, sort of uh, you know, we, we had this little little battle going on. But then, <laughs> then the next morning, after we're kind of recapping what had happened, uh, we, we, we go out for breakfast and leave the tent. As we're driving back, the wind had picked up. Oh no. And like, hey, that's our tent that's blowing <laughs> across the prairie. <laughs> so, there it goes. There it goes. So we, 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 we pull in and uh, run out into the field and, and uh, go grab the tent. But it was... Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it couldn't go too far. It would have gotten trapped in the draw right. <laughs> that, that led to the Cottonwood River. So at least it didn't make it into the yeah. Cottonwood River. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the wind on the prairie yes. can be is definitely a notable mention. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. It is. And and I think that's uh, I'm thankful to uh, not be out in the prairie all the time. I, yes. the, the wind being one who's worked outside, uh, the wind can be one of the worst elements. Yes. It, 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 uh, if you're out in the in the wind all day it just beats you up and, mm -hmm. and you feel it yeah and it's uh and i, I think that was uh i'm trying to think what what of the uh early settlers books uh i think many of the the the, the books uh, like sod and stubble and some of the others they all they all talk about <laughs> the wind yeah and it's it's a major force yes yeah yeah, yeah, it can blow your tent away, it could blow you away, yeah, you know? Yeah, it causes dust storms, yeah. It, uh, yeah. it spreads wildfires, yeah, it, yeah. it is all of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. it's intense, yeah. It, has a lot of, it has a lot of emotion, it feels like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 cool. Um, well, sweet, this has been awesome. Yeah. This has been a great conversation. Thanks yeah. for taking some time to talk to me. Yeah, you. certainly, certainly. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming all the way to Kansas City yeah. and uh, yeah. Yeah, kind of experiencing what we have here. So. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, awesome. I will probably just link all of the different websites for Giving Grove unless there's something other mentionable. Yeah, well, to be probably, mentioned. yeah, probably Giving Grove and Kansas City Community Gardens. So, um, yeah, and that probably in the, well, maybe I can make it clear, clear now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, because Kansas City Community Gardens is, uh, so Giving Grove has, has the affiliates and, and, and so we are the Kansas City Community Garden affiliate. Okay. For giving growth okay here. so cool yeah, that's how that works but yeah, awesome. i can um so you'll probably want to link both of those websites okay. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. and i mean the kansas city community garden right now is doing is that is the seed sales open to the public 
Well, so you have to be a member, okay. and so we are a membership organization, um, and it's an annual membership. Membership is based upon income, so oh, cool. uh, for higher income folks, it's $25 a year. For, for kind of a middle income, it's uh, $12 a year, and then for lower income, it's $2 a year. And with membership, you automatically get 10 free packs of seeds. Dang. Which, yeah. Dang. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> wow. Right? Yeah, membership pays for itself right yeah. off the bat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, as well as a bag of fertilizer, uh, uh, be it uh, the chicken manure fertilizer cool. or um, or just the uh, sort of standard chemical fertilizer. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so yeah, seeds and fertilizer with, with a membership. And, and then once you have your membership, you have access to our plant sales. So... Coming up, uh, what is it, um, the 24th, all of our cool season plants. So broccoli, lettuce, cabbage, kale, cool. all of it, it, it goes on sale. Wow, wow. And so it will be mayhem, uh, both the 24th and the 25th. And, and we do the same for uh, uh, all of the summer crops. So uh, potato, or I'm sorry, tomatoes, peppers, eggplants. Uh, all of those will go on sale in late April. We do bulk sweet potato orders, so uh, people want to, to get sweet potato slips. We do bulk garlic orders. So cool. we, we try to hit all of the major vegetable crops that, that people would be growing, and, and we, we order these things in bulk to basically make sure the the savings is passed on to all the members yeah, so, yeah. that's amazing yeah yeah, yeah that's exactly. super awesome yeah. i hope everybody in kansas city right. could be a part of this yeah well yeah. i mean that's that's why it's, it's bustling today and right. we'll be bustling tomorrow yeah. so yeah. yeah yeah cool i'll yeah. definitely make sure to link all that information yeah. yeah in the show notes cool yeah great all right great great, great. um i'm gonna stop the recording Make sure it saves. <laughs> Thank you for listening and tuning in to another episode of the Prairie Ramblings podcast. To support the show, you can write a review or share it with a friend, as well as follow us on our new Instagram page at Prairie Ramblings Podcast. We create new episodes at the end of each month, which you can find on most platforms. All of the platforms that we use are on our Instagram page as well. Huge thank you to Austin, the producer of today's episode. All of their information will be linked in the show notes below as well as on our Instagram page. Hope you all enjoyed today's episode and we will see you next month.